So we come to the story of Joseph, where we've been looking into the experience of this young man, as recorded for us in the latter chapters of Genesis, in order that we might discover how he lived a productive life. In the closing words of Jacob, as the old patriarch gathered his sons around him, he made some statements, he pronounced some blessings, he made some prophetic utterances, and he gave some evaluations of his sons. The thing that he said about Joseph is of particular interest to us. Jacob said of Joseph that he was a fruitful vine planted near a spring, whose branches climbed over the wall. Now, this is a very, very significant analogy, and I want us to spend little time looking into that today. In other words, Joseph lived a fruitful life, and I would like us to conclude by asking ourselves whether we know how to live a fruitful life. Something very discouraging, something very draining about having the feeling that your life isn't really amounting to very much at all. Joseph, we are told, was like a fruitful vine. The analogy is apt. I want to make three applications of this analogy today. The first thing I want you to notice is this, that the fruitfulness of Joseph's life was related to rootedness. The fruitfulness was related to rootedness. What do I mean by that? You'll notice that it says that he was a fruitful vine planted by a spring of water. Now, those of you who've traveled to the Middle East are well aware of the fact that it's a very dry and very barren part of the world. But you come across certain oases, you come across certain vineyards, and the verdancy and the greenness and the fruitfulness and the fragrance is startling to the eye. And you know immediately the secret. The secret of that verdancy and the secret of the fragrance and the fruitfulness is water. That all-important water. If you're going to have a fruitful vine, it has got to be rooted in the water. If you're going to live a fruitful life, there has got to be a certain rootedness to it. As far as Joseph is concerned, we know that there was a rootedness in his relationship to the Lord, the unique person of the Lord. In his statement concerning Joseph, Jacob says a whole lot of things about God, and he says quite specifically, it is because of who God is that he is able to be the person that he is. He describes God in a variety of ways. He describes him as the, the mighty one of Jacob. He, he describes him as the rock of Israel. He describes him as the shepherd. He describes him as the God of his fathers. And he describes him as El Shaddai. Now, each of these pictures is important to us. You see, if we are going to have an experience of God, that experience of God has got to be rooted not in our speculations about God. It has got to be rooted in God's revelation about himself. There is a tremendous attraction in our culture at the present time to speculative spirituality. In other words, people are making up their own ideas about God, their own ideas about life. 
If you simply operate on the basis of trusting your own ideas of God, the chances are you're wrong. If you want to have any degree of certainty about your experience of God, you don't operate on the basis of your speculation, you operate on the basis of his revelation. And he has revealed himself, among other ways, by his names. Now, El Shaddai, for instance. That was a popular term for God in the days of the patriarchs. El simply means God. Shaddai means sufficient, adequate, or enough. So the statement that was upon the lips of the patriarchs when they talked about El Shaddai was this. Our God is adequate. Our God is sufficient. Our God is enough. Now the question that immediately comes to my mind then is adequate for what? Adequate for what? And the answer is our God is adequate for everything into which he leads us. Now let me say that again more slowly. Our God is adequate for everything into which he leads us. If you believe that, you're a vine planted by a spring. Because you're rooted in a sufficient, you're rooted in an adequate God. Now, very, very often, we lack this understanding. We lack this understanding, first of all, that God is the one who leads us into situation. But that is inherent in the second title here, that he is the shepherd. Now, of course, the idea of God being a shepherd was a familiar idea to the the patriarchs. They were shepherds. We we don't have many shepherds around now in in our culture. In fact, some of us have probably never seen a flock of sheep. If you have seen a flock of sheep here, you probably saw a shepherd chasing them with a sheepdog or on a tractor. But if you go to the Middle East, you'll discover that the shepherd is often a small boy or a small girl, and they are playing a little flute or a harp, and they're walking ahead of the sheep, and the sheep are following them. A shepherd is a leader. Now put these two ideas together. God is El Shaddai and God is shepherd, which means he leads us into situations for which he is totally adequate. Now then, if I have little concept of God leading me into situations, but I simply see myself as a person who is subjected to situations... Or if I do not have this concept that the God who leads me into situations and is himself sufficient for the situation, guess what? I may find my life lived in total panic or paranoia or concern or an endeavor to manipulate my circumstances. Tragic news, of course, is this. We cannot manipulate, we cannot manage our circumstances. Things happen that are outside our control. If they are outside our control, are they outside his control? And the answer is, if I know God is shepherd who leads me, he is not the one who has lost control, and he is the one who in control of the situation, invidious though it might be, is with me in it, and he is adequate. El Shaddai. Now, there are some people who will move into a situation and they will react to the situation in all kinds of ways, many of which are very negative. 
And you will find immediately adjacent to them somebody who's going through identical circumstances and they react in an entirely different manner. And the reason for the two is this. One is simply handling the situation as the best way they can and the other one is rooted in El Shaddai, the shepherd. For they have discovered in him that he is the one who leads and is sufficient for all that he leads us into. The key to a fruitfulness is a rootedness. He is also the God of his fathers, according to Jacob. He is also the mighty one of Jacob. Now, what does this mean? Well, Jacob was no saint. Jacob's life was a checkered life. If there's one thing comes through loudly and clearly about the life of Jacob, it is that he had some very obvious glaring weaknesses. And yet the tremendous statement about Jacob's God is that he is the might of, he is the power of, he is the strength of Jacob. In other words, this man who had glaring weaknesses also had an incredibly powerful God who worked in his weaknesses. And Joseph had had the opportunity to study his father at somewhat close range. And in studying his father, he understood perfectly his father's weaknesses, but he had seen in the weakness the might of the God of Jacob. Now, if you begin to discover that you have a God of sufficiency and a God of strength, then, of course, you put your roots deep down into him. And that is the key to your fruitfulness. He is also described, this God of whom Jacob spoke, as the rock of Israel. Now, the idea of rock is that which is stable. So we have a picture of a God who is sufficient, and we have a picture of a God who is strong, and we have a picture of a God who is the essence of stability. Now, Joseph had lived a roller coaster life. If he had simply been reacting to all the roller coaster experience, he would have been up and down all over the place. But there was a remarkable stability to the man. There was a consistency about him. And guess what? The consistency about him was that he was rooted in a God who is stable, rooted in a God who is strong, rooted in a God who is sufficient. And this God blessed him and helped him. Now, on the one hand, of course, it's perfectly obvious for us to be living in abject ignorance of the character and nature of God. On the other hand, it is possible for us to be assiduous students of the Bible, which you need to be if you're going to know God. And we study the Bible, and we carefully learn about El Shaddai, and we learn about shepherd, and we learn about rock, and we learn about all these other good things, and we underline them in our Bibles, and we make notes in the margins of our outlines, Right? Right? And as we make notes on these things, we go home and forget all about it. It doesn't help us very much. There's another step we have to take, and it is this. When we begin to understand who God is in a theological sense or a biblical sense, we now then need to translate that into who God is in an experimental, experiential sense. So if technically I know that God is the shepherd who leads... I can underline that in blue, but having underlined it in blue in my Bible, I now need to take the step of saying, if you're the God who leads, show me where you want me to go, and I'll go. 
Show me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. If, on the other hand, you are the God who is El Shaddai, I'll underline that in my Bible as well, because I learned a little bit of Hebrew now. But not only will I learn to line the Hebrew in my Bible, I will know what it means. My God is enough. But when I find myself in situations for which I am inadequate, I will not bemoan my inadequacy and panic. I will simply identify my inadequacy and roll it over into the adequacy of God and wait for him to work. I begin to be rooted in the unique person of God. The key to fruitfulness is rootedness. But the second thing you need to notice is this, that the key to his rootedness was that it was not only in the unique person of God, but it was in the unchanging purposes of God too. You probably notice that right at the very end of the Joseph story, after he has been reconciled to his brother for 17 years, Jacob dies. And as soon as Jacob dies, his brothers panic. And they say to themselves, now that our father is out of the way, Joseph is going to get even with us for all that we did to him when he was a teenager. (laughs) And they come to him and they tell him some great story about what Jacob has said. And Joseph's reaction to this is he burst into tears. And he said, listen, man, listen, man, don't you believe that I've forgiven you? Don't you believe that I understand what happened? And then he makes this great statement. What you did to me was wicked and ugly and mean and rotten, and it was a stinking thing to do. You designed your worst for me. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. But God was working in it for good. And whilst you had nefarious desires in what you did, God was doing something benevolent and he put me into a position here where I've become basically the savior of the Middle East. You intended it for evil, God intended it for good. And that was something that was fundamental to Joseph's understanding of life. He was not only rooted in the unique person of God, he was deeply rooted in the unchanging purposes of God. And what are they? The unchanging purposes of God are to be with us in the wickedness and evil that this world is made up of. And being with us in it, he is working through it to bring good out of it. He's with us in it, working through it to bring good out of it. Now, if you're rooted in that, if you're rooted in that idea, then I promise you that it will be just a little bit easier for you to deal with the wickedness and the evil and the meanness and the ugliness of the world in which you find yourself also often. When we go into the New Testament, there's a very, very well-known passage in Romans chapter 8 which goes something like this. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, of those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that has been misunderstood by some people, and they have simply said, okay, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Now, here's a terrible thing that's happening. What we've got to do is try and figure out the good that God is working in it. That is not what it says. It doesn't say that you'll be able to identify good in every wicked, evil, mean, ugly thing that happens to you. 
What it does say is this. Wicked, mean, ugly things happen in this world. It's a wicked, evil, mean, ugly world. God is not absent. He is working in the situation and in and through the situation will work out your ultimate good. And your ultimate good is that his eternal unchanging purposes will be worked out. Now, somebody who believes that handles the evil and the wickedness and the ugliness and the meanness differently from the people who simply sees himself or herself as a victim of what is wicked, evil, mean, and ugly. Fruitfulness is related to rootedness. Rootedness in the unique person of God. Rootedness in the unchanging purposes of God. And rootedness in the unalterable promises of God. Right at the end of Joseph's life, Joseph leaves instructions. And the instructions are that he is not to be buried, finally, in Egypt. But the plans are to be made whereby his casket and his embalmed body will be taken and buried in the land of promise. Why? Because it is precisely the land of promise. He knows that the children of Israel in Egypt is a parenthesis. He knows that it is not the ultimate plan for God, for his people. The ultimate plan for God is wrapped up in the promises of God. And the promises of God is this land is promised to you. Or if you like, the promised land. He believes it. And so whilst he knows that he may not necessarily see the outworking of the promises of God, he knows that the promises of God are utterly, totally reliable. And you should put your roots and confidence in them. Scripture tells us that God has given unto us great and exceeding precious promises that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature. Now, see Joseph. Joseph is a man who lives in all manner of difficult, desperate circumstances. But there's a certain strength to him. There's a certain stability about him. There's a certain sufficiency that he demonstrates. And we scratch our heads and say, how in the world could he do that? And the answer is, he was fruitful because he was rooted. And he was rooted in the unique person of God. He was rooted in the unalterable promises of God. And he was rooted in the unchanging purposes of God. And therein lay his strength and his sufficiency and his stability. And there's the key to a fruitful life. Rootedness. But secondly, (laughs) you thought when I went slow and quiet I was through, didn't you? No, not even close. (laughs) Notice the second thing it says about this vine. That he is a fruitful vine planted by a spring of water whose branches go over the wall. Now, a fruitful life is not just a life of rootedness in God. A fruitful life is a life that is rooted in God to the extent that it begins to produce branches and sprouts and leaves and great big bunches of luscious fruit. If you look at the stock of a vine, particularly after it's been pruned, it's ugly 
<laughs> There's absolutely nothing appealing about it whatsoever. In fact, if you didn't know what it was, you'd say, why in the world have got those ugly things just sticking up out of the ground? But just wait a little bit. Just wait a little bit until the sap begins to flow and the buds begin to come and the tendrils and the branches and the leaves and the fruit. Do you know what the vine does automatically? It climbs over the wall. It reaches out. And the second key to fruitfulness is relatedness. The key to a fruitful life is the rootedness in God's person and purposes and promises and then a reaching out in relatedness to others. A translation of who God is in your life into a behavior in relatedness to the people around you. Now, spiritual experience goes through all kinds of phases. And one of the big phases that we're going through at the moment, which is very good, is intimacy with God. That's one of the buzzwords now. Intimacy with God. That's another way of talking about rootedness in God. Don't let personal intimacy with God become all you're interested in. Develop intimacy, develop rootedness with God with a view to developing relatedness with those whom God has put in the orbit of your influence. For it is in the context of relationships that we live a fruitful life. Look at Joseph very quickly. Joseph's relatedness to his old father was a relatedness of deep respect and love. He went out of his way to demonstrate how much he respected his father. That's one way in which you can live a fruitful life. In the context of your family, which may be difficult, you may have a situation where the, your father was a very difficult person. You didn't like him very much. But now in his older days, guess what? You could be the person who now reaches out to him from the sufficiency of El Shaddai and begins to demonstrate to him something that he's never experienced before. That's why he's such an awkward old cuss all these years. As far as his brothers were concerned, what did he demonstrate to them? He demonstrated to them forgiveness and kindness. As far as Potiphar, his boss, was concerned, what did he demonstrate to him? He demonstrated tremendous integrity to him. At the time when he could have had a chip on his shoulder because he was an unappreciated, unremunerated slave. To Potiphar's wife who tried to seduce him into a relationship that was totally unacceptable, what did he do? He demonstrated a deep spirituality to her. He talked to her about the fact that what she was suggesting was a sin against God. When he was in the prison, how did he relate to the prisoners? He related to them out of sheer generosity, even though they were singularly ungenerous to him. And when he was brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is in dire circumstances, because he now discovers they're going to be heading for seven years of famine, he offers to him his giftedness and is willing to step into the breach. You know, we have every opportunity in our families to be fruitful in respect and love. We have every opportunity in our businesses to be fruitful in honesty and integrity. We have every opportunity in difficult situations to demonstrate deep, profound spiritual integrity and ethics and morality. 
We have all kinds of opportunities where people are abusing us to demonstrate generosity and kindness. We have all kinds of opportunities in a needing world to say, here I am, here's my energy, here's my time, here's my giftedness, I'm expendable and available. And you know, when you begin to relate to people like that, it's called living a fruitful life. And some people get up at the beginning of a day and they say, how can I relate in a kind, loving, generous, positive manner today? How can I demonstrate honesty and integrity today? How can I today exercise my life in such a way that I'll make my time and my energy and my gift available and expendable to people who need it? And those people live a fruitful life. And some people get up at the beginning of the day and they look in the mirror and they say, the most significant thing I will do today is decide what color shirt to wear. What a waste of a life. So we ask ourselves a question. Do I know what it is to be fruitful because of my rootedness? Do I know what it is to be fruitful because of my relatedness? There's a third and the final thing here. There's a resoluteness to, to Joseph as well. A resoluteness to Joseph. The analogy changes now from the vine. It talks about him being the target of the archers, the archers with their bows and arrows, filling him full of holes. But he says in the midst of the situation, his bow held steady and his fingers were limber. Here's a picture of resoluteness. Here is a picture of a man who is saying to himself, because I know who my God is, that he is El Shaddai, the one who is sufficient for everything into which he leads me. And he is my shepherd, and he is leading me at all times. And he is the rock under my feet. He is the source of my stability. And he is the mighty one of Jacob. He is the one who gives me strength. And because I know of his unfailing purposes are to bring ultimate good out of an evil, sick situation, and because I know that his promises are true and faithful, because I know his person and his purposes and his promises, and I'm deeply rooted in him, and I will translate these things into my behavior in my relationships, then it doesn't really matter what happens to me just so long as I am resolutely rooted in him and relating appropriately to others. And so that's the story of Joseph. And I ask myself the question, as I get up in the morning, what is the most significant thing I can do today? Does it matter if I live or die? Is there any point to my existence? The life that I live today, will it make any difference? And the answer is this. If I'm not rooted rightly, and if I'm not rightly related, and resolutely rooted and related, my life may be withering on the vine. On the other hand, if I get up in the morning and I say to myself, what a joy, yet another day, full of all kinds of possibilities that could conceivably be wicked and ugly and mean and rotten. What an opportunity to discover in that situation a stable, strong, sufficient God 
whose purposes do not change, whose promises are totally secure. And my confidence is in him. And my reaction to my circumstances will be governed by who he is, what he plans, and what he has promised. And I will simply concentrate today on reaching out to people in such a way that I might be a means of blessing to them. For the amazing thing about Joseph was this. While the archers were shooting him full of holes, he wasn't spending all his time patching up the holes. He was spending his time being resolutely fruitful. I talked to a young lady. She's had grave disappointments. She is deeply distraught about them. It's a very, very difficult circumstance for her. And she said, all I want to do is to go home, close the door, curl up on my own, and just be depressed. I can understand that. She said, is that what I should do? She said, maybe I could just take my Bible with me. I said, you know what I suggest you do? What I suggest you do is remember the old proverb. I grumbled when I had no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. And begin to see that in your pain and in your difficulty, you have an opportunity to get your roots deeper into God. And as a result of that, you have the opportunity then to reach out in a way that is far beyond your ability. And getting your rootedness right and your relatedness right, you may begin to discover that in reaching out, you're discovering something that will touch you at the point of your need as well. Let's close by asking ourselves a very, very serious question. Are you ready for it? Am I rooted rightly and rightly relating and resolutely living a fruitful life? Now, if I could remember it, I would repeat it. But I just made it up as I was going on. But you got the drift, didn't you? Rooted, related, resolute. Let's pray it again. There's a very high possibility, Lord, that given the fallenness of this world and the evil that prevails, that we could be heading out into some very difficult, mean, ugly situations. Would you please, in these situations, remind us of who you are, what your purposes are, and what your promises are. And in these circumstances, would you please, Lord, help us to begin to discover more and more of your faithfulness, and your sufficiency, and your strength, in our experiences of extremity. And out of this experience, would you make us resolute, firm, steady, to such an extent that we're able to reach out over the wall and be a means of blessing and encouragement so that our lives might be fruitful. Whatever else happens, dear Lord, please deliver us from living a day at a time when the most significant decision we make is what color shirt to wear. Hear our prayers. Let our cries ascend unto you in the name 
that the Lord Jesus, our sufficient, stable, strong Savior. Amen.